All right, so everybody get the announcement? You got it? Good, fantastic. Take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. Today is going to be a little bit different because as you take out your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. And it's going to be different because we are going to be covering a series of verses, but the majority of the entire message is on verse 1, meaning verse 11. The first verse, we're going to spend all our time there, and then we're going to read through the rest of it because if we can... We can understand the first one, all the rest is easy. So, we're going to camp a little bit there. But in order to draw your attention to the the fill-in-the-blank on the sheet in front of you, I want to talk a little bit about church. So let me say this. We are in part 11 in our Purposeful Christianity series through the book of Colossians, line by line. And I entitled today's message, All Together Now. And I wanted to talk about church. There are three areas where I believe that it should be here on earth as it is in heaven. That is in the heart of the believer. That is in the home of a believer. And that is in the church. In the church should be here on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible talks about Satan being the prince of the power of the air and, and, and watching over the world and causing chaos and strife. I need you to view it like this. That may be the case everywhere else, but not here. That we need to make sure that in this house, in our homes, and in our hearts, we say Satan does not have dominion there. This is God's house. You all know what I'm talking about. Therefore, we have to kind of put up some boundaries and some walls and say, we will submit to the Heavenly Father. We will submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We will submit to Jesus Christ as King in this house. We have to learn a few things. Now, I've shared with you in the past different vision things that we've worked on and things in writing like equipping one another to bring the wholeness of Jesus to a broken world. That is our mission statement. Our identity statement is being a scripture-soaked and spirit-led community, right? These types of things. But as I sat down to write this message, I just kind of free flow, just kind of wrote down my thoughts on what I really dream about on the off days. What do I dream about this church should be like? I don't want to share that with you. I'm going to go through it really fast, but, but on, on each one of these points afterwards, I'm going to see if you're with me. All right. So here, here's the ideas. I want to talk about our worship service, what you're in right now. What should this be like? What are we really trying to go for? Are we simply trying to go through the steps and just check the boxes? I don't have any time for that. I don't like the idea of just going to church and simply singing a little song, not being engaged, and then learning a little bit of new information or hearing a motivational speaker and then going home. That does not, that's not interesting to me. I don't think that's church. So what do I mean? When we come to a service together, what am I looking for? Here's what I mean. I'm saying that what I desire in this place all across our campus is a powerful presence of God, that he would be thick in this place, that the word of God would be taught clearly, powerfully, unapologetically with encouragement and exhortation, no matter who is filling this pulpit, that our worship in song would be an atmosphere, atmosphere filled with love and praise 
and deep connection with God. That at the altar, at the end of the service, it would be a place of healing, supernatural work, and it would be a place of transformation. That after all that is done, when we fellowship, that it would be a place of laughter and tears of friendship, engaging with God. Can you all say amen to that? When I think about our kids, and I think about what goes on out in the Kidsway areas or in the MSM or HSM areas of high school and middle school, I I believe that all of our children should be empowered and trained to be all that God designed them to be, that they should be given space to flourish and the resources to get them there, that they would be raised here in a safe and loving environment but trained to be overcomers in an unsafe and unloving world. Y'all say amen to that? All right. When I think about these missional communities that we are launching in the fall, we need them so desperately because we need a place that is a smaller environment to share lives together. So I believe and I dream that they would be places of belonging. That when we come to church, because we had just been at missional community, we have familiar faces at every service. That they would be places of purpose where not only do we reach out, but we get to be a part of something greater than ourselves. That they would be places of deep discipleship and leadership training. That they would be a healthy family environment of living, learning, and laughing together. Can you all say amen to that? When I talk about the ministries that we have here, things like our care and compassion department, our connections department, what I dream about is that for all of us, we can invite God into our pain and find wholeness in Jesus, that we can be spurred on to grow towards the next calling that God has for our life. Would you all say amen to that? Amen. Amen. And the spirit and tone of Bridgeway, what do I want to be known for? What do I want our church to have the flavor of? It's things like this. Engagement with God and passion. I don't care whether or not your arms are up or your arms are down during worship, whether your eyes are open or your eyes are closed during prayer. I don't care whether or not you're standing or you're sitting or whether or not you're from this background or this background. If you are engaged with God, if you are passionate about God, we win. And I want that so badly here. I want us to authentically live here in a loving and trustworthy environment of transformation where we are anchored to the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit is free to do the miraculous that needs to be done. I dream of diversity, ethnically, racially, spiritual backgrounds, gifting, personality, socioeconomic levels, whatever it is, we need more flavor of God in this place. I believe in equipping one another to bring the wholeness of Jesus into a broken world. Can you all say amen to that? All right. So the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Church should be the greatest place on earth. Church should be the greatest place on earth. Whatever is going on in society, it should be different when you walk in this place. When you walk into the homes of a Christian, that certain divides should no longer exist. That certain hurts and pains should no longer exist. The world is full of brokenness. 
As a matter of fact, we're about to step into Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, and you're going to find out that Paul is talking into a world of great division. America's pretty divided right now. I mean, we got divisions about everything. We got divisions about gender. We got divisions about sexuality. We got divisions about racial issues. We got divisions about politics. We got divisions about all kinds of stuff all over our nation. And you have to ask, why are we so divided? Why? Why not lean into unity? Why do we get so divided? I was talking with my prayer team earlier as we were preparing for this service, we're reflecting on the fact that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, all of those seek to divide. The world teaches us to divide because there are the haves and the have nots. There are those people and there are us. The flesh seeks to divide because if I allow you more, I will have less. And of course, the devil wants to isolate. And so he wants you alone. So the more he can stir up, the better off he is. There's a reason why we're so divided as a nation. And none of it is because of God. But here, in God's house, there needs to be a difference. And that's what we're going to be camping on this morning If you haven't already, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Once again, I didn't realize when I planned this message out eight months ago that uh, really it's two messages. Um, I didn't realize how much, because of where we would be as a nation, that I would camp on just one verse. But as I said, if we can get the first one right, all the rest of it's easy. Paul begins with one simple word. Here, here in the house of God, here in the body of Christ, here where Jesus reigns, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. What does that mean? Here, it's different than in the world. In that divided world where Paul was talking, in the divided world of today, Christianity is supposed to make a difference. If things are happening in Christianity in the same way they're happening to the world, we don't have Christianity. There's got to be a difference. He said, here there is no Greek and Jew. Now, it should be there's no Greek versus Jew because in that day the racism was so extreme. I, I understand that in today there is still so much racism and so much social divide and so much animosity from ethnicity to ethnicity. But I think you're all very clear that there was a day here in this United States that it was even worse. We would have to go back in our history a bit to match what Paul was looking at when the Jew and the Greek divide was going on. Let me tell you how blatant it was. One of the commentaries I was studying just kind of lined it out. So I'll just quote it from there. In Paul's day, 
Jews hated Gentiles or Greeks, whatever you want to call it. Greeks hated Jews. There was so much animosity that this is how the Jews treated it, that the Jews refused to go in a house of a Gentile. If you can't even walk in someone's house, they would not eat any meal prepared by a non-Jew because it was unclean. They didn't want to touch anything that a non-Jew touched. As a matter of fact, when they would walk out of non-Jewish areas, they would wipe the dust off their sandals to say, I don't even want your dirt on me. That's pretty extreme racism. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I mean, it was so intense. And that's how it was for thousands of years. It was so ingrained. And so all of a sudden, Jesus shows up to a group of Jews. Jesus is a Jew. The disciples and apostles were Jews. But he starts doing stuff no one ever did. Not the Jewish people anyway. All of a sudden, Jesus starts inviting in and talking with other people. He begins to minister to Samaritans. He begins to welcome in the Greeks to talk to him as if they could be disciples. He allows women to sit at his feet and become his disciples that no other Jewish rabbi would ever dream to do. He begins to break down all these walls and begins to bring people together. He has different nationalities doing ministry within their context. And he starts talking about how we got to get together. <laughs> so how do you think that worked in the early church? Thousands of years of racism, and now suddenly we're all going to be cool. They all come into the Christian church together, and they're all looking at each other like, I don't even think I'm supposed to be here. Like, I don't know, you probably touched something. <laughs> right? It was so bad and so thick that if you remember, it even went up into the leadership after God had to try to re-rack Peter multiple times to go, buddy, buddy, we're all in this together. Peter still later on had to be rebuked publicly by Paul the apostle for separating from another group of people. He's going, Peter, what it, that's the head of the church. If the head of the church is still struggling with racism, are we not having a problem? If... God didn't keep peppering at it and breaking it up and breaking it up and breaking it up, then today Christianity would simply be Jewish alone, which would have defeated the whole purpose. Because Abraham was given this commandment. Through you, all nations on earth will be blessed, but that can't happen if you hate all the other nations. Hmm. Jesus is the basis for human and racial equality. Jesus is the basis for all human and racial equality. Why? Image of God. Image of God. There should be no allowance in your heart or in your spirit for viewing another race lower than yourself. Or, might I add, viewing another race greater than yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Jesus is the great equalizer of all people. He said, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. He's not talking about a surgery. He's talking about religion. Here's what he's saying. The Jews felt 
They had the corner market on God. They were the ones marked out. They were not the only people group to do circumcision, but they said our circumcision is a mark out for God. We have the corner market on proximity to God. We have the corner market on miraculous of God. We have the corner market on the ear of God. And we have the corner market on blessings from God. Everyone else doesn't. That was a big badge of honor for them. There was the religiously superior And then there was everybody else. But Jesus Christ is the basis for religious Christian equality. What does that mean? It means that if some, if a worship event or people group is truly Christian, they're just as honoring as another group. For example, Christians in China worship very different than they do at Bridgeway. Does that make sense? The, the songs, the tone, the style, the worship, the teaching, the engagement, it's all different. And it's a beautiful aroma to God. In the darkest parts of the Amazon forest, there are believers, and they worship so different than Bridgeway. And it's so good in the eyes of God. Jesus Christ says, you know what? I'm up here. Everybody else is equal down here. So all of us are trying to just reach out to our Lord and worship Him and try to grow and connect with Him the best way that we know how. Is any church perfect? Absolutely not. Do we really think that we are doing it the right way? Come on. Of course not. We're doing what we know. Is there another way to do church? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to do church. Why? Because church is about people. Church is about God in His people gathering together and glorifying His name and submitting to Him and learning from Him. That's what it is. Does it have to be three songs and then this and then two songs and then it has to be a message and then it's announcements, right? Does it have to be that? Is that how the apostles did it? Right? Did Philip play the drums? Did he not? Did he? (laughs) None of our churches today look anything like the early church of the apostles. That doesn't make it bad. Theirs was legit. Ours is legit. But wow, are they different. He said there is neither barbarian and Scythian. All the other ones were like kind of this or this. This is a continuum. Barbarian actually is the word. It's one of those words that's supposed to sound like what it means. It actually was barbar, and it means you're so stupid you don't know how to talk right. That's literally, you have baby language because you are so unschooled. You're so idiotic, you don't even know what you're saying. And basically, it came to be known that anyone that was not part of the Greco Roman world, the educated world, that everyone else was stupid. So they would call them barbarians. You guys don't know about hygiene. You don't know about uh, proper laws. You don't know how to govern yourself. You're all animals. So they would view every other nation, no matter how beautiful the nation was, no matter how incredible their people were. In other words, you're either educated or you're not. And there was this educational superiority We know how to govern ourselves. You do not even think rationally. So they would have this massive divide. 
And Paul said, whoa, 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 that's not right. Even if you want to go as far as, and they would put classifications, the worst of the stupid were the Scythians. Why? Because they were known as war people. They, they didn't wash. They, they murdered and they did a lot of like psychological operations and they were very brutal in how they did things. And so they would look at them and go, they're the worst of the uneducated. And Paul said, in light of Christ, none of us know anything. Why are we playing this game that the more education you have, the more God you have? That's not true. That's not true. Jesus is the basis for educational equality. Why? Because the Pharisees were smarter than the disciples. And that didn't turn out very well for them. Right? He said, there is neither slave nor free. In the ancient world, slavery was huge. It was the entire workforce. And it, and, and you're going to hear different, different people talk about how slaves were treated in the ancient world. Let me just explain it this way. The gamut was so wide that you had some people that sold themselves into slavery for a temporary time because they had to pay off debts. It was temporary. They were treated really well. As a matter of fact, some slaves ran the household, had all kinds of perks, had awesome position in life, and then they could get out of it. That's one side. All the way over to the other one, Aristotle. You're all familiar with Aristotle's works. Aristotle said a slave is nothing more than a living tool. You use them, they die, get another one. It doesn't matter. And there was such slave ownership where people were forced into slavery. They were treated like animals and garbage and tools. And even their children were owned by the masters. They had no rights. They had no nothing. So you had the full gamut in the ancient world. And so when all of a sudden you would walk into church, slave, master, and slave would now have to worship next to each other. What does that look like? You both walk in and now it's awkward. How does the church work with this when the world divides, but the church should not? How does that work? And how do you do that dynamic That's what they were wrestling with. It was so hard. But Jesus is the basis for class and economic equality. How do we know that? Because the king of kings came to hang out with the poor, the uneducated, the outcast. But I need you to understand that Paul's not done. This passage that we just read is actually a parallel passage to another one. It actually is almost identical to Galatians 3.28, but he adds a line. Let me read for you Galatians 3.27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that there is no gender when it comes to Jesus and his love and his blessings and equality? Just like men, women are gifted with all the gifts. Women are empowered to change the world. Women know how to lead things and solve problems. Women know how to direct teams and excel in business. Women have the fruit of the spirit. They have his power. They have his attention. They have his endorsement. They are no less in the mind of God. Do you believe that? One person does, praise the Lord. (laughs) Just us together, that's all right. 
Thankfully, it was a woman that said yes. Why is there such equality? Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. When we come to the foot of the cross, we are nothing. We've been reduced down to nothing. And Jesus said, I will place not just my image alive in you, but I will place my value and my meaning and my purpose in you. And you will rise up as my people. And you are now but jars of clay. And what is inside you is glorious. It is the Holy Spirit by which He begins to move out throughout our limbs. And when we walk, when we talk, when we move, we have His being. Therefore, we all have infinite value. Now, this is where some of you would go, well, all right, pastor, I know my Bible. All right, so here's the part that 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 I'm not quite sure you're touching on. Yeah, everybody's equal, but you know what, man? There's a bunch of scriptures in there that say things like wives submit to your husbands and children obey your parents. And, and you have these kinds of things. You know, even when Paul talks about slave and master, he begins to talk about employer, employee. He talks about certain respect and things like that. What do you do with that? Well, let me tell you exactly what I do with that. We are all equal, but we are not all the same. God is glorified in his diversity. He has served in different roles that he designs into us. He offers different perspectives and placements to glorify him. So let's be clear on a couple things. Number one, it all begins with the Trinity. You all know what the Trinity is, right? That's the concept that pastors talk about as if they know what they're talking about. (laughs) They don't. But we say things that are super you know, uh, elusive with, you know, you all realize that we're worshiping one God. Yeah. But there's three persons, right? So it's three in one. It's a triune being. So you have the father, son, and Holy spirit. They're all co-equal, right? They're all eternal. They all have the same mind, same heart, but they don't all have the same function. Can you agree with that? Hmm. Let me walk through that for a moment. They have the same character. They have the same value. They have the same power. They have the same existence. Not one dominates the other, but they all have distinct functions and roles. The father doesn't do everything the son does. The father didn't die for the sins of the world. That was Jesus's job. The father doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does. He does not directly indwell mankind in the same way. The Holy Spirit doesn't do what the son does. He doesn't judge mankind. That has been handed over to the son. The Holy Spirit doesn't do what the father does. He doesn't initiate creation. The son doesn't do what the father does, which is when he led here on earth, he only did what he saw his father doing and just duplicated it. The son doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit walks alongside us, guiding us into all truth every day. Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because he's at the right hand of the father in heaven interceding for us. What's the point? Absolute equality. Until you understand the Trinity to the degree that you do not say that Jesus is a smaller God and Father is bigger God. Until you can root that out and realize that the Holy Spirit is not less just because he's invisible. The minute you understand in the Trinity the power of equality and diversity and unity, you're not going to understand the church. Why? Because all of the church takes... It's set up based on the Trinity. 
Same thing with the home. So what does it mean? Let me explain this. All humans and races are equal, but they are unique expressions of God. Therefore, what does that mean? We don't want same. We don't want all the nations and people on earth to become one homogenous blob. We don't want them losing their distinctiveness. That would ruin the whole point of why God made them distinctive in the first place. We want the beauty of the Asian culture. We want the beauty of an African culture. We want the beauty of the European culture. We need these things. Why? Because God made them beautiful. That's why. They don't need to be all melted down, right? Amen. We want the diversity, but we have to have it in unity. That's when we start being blessed by each other's blessings. So yes, we are all equal, but no, we're not looking to be same. We're looking to be as beautiful as God made us. In the same way, all true Christian church expressions are equal and honoring to God, but some will have power and blessing in one area and others in another area based on their calling. Not all churches have been given the exact same calling and the way to design as the other ones. We need different churches to focus on different stuff we're not focusing on. Does that make sense? That let's say, because if I ask you, well, do we need to focus on evangelism more? Do we need to focus on worship more? Do we need to focus on prayer more? Do we need to focus on the word more? Do we need to focus on, we can't do everything. But as other churches are all pursuing God individually and they're learning about him, the only way it truly becomes a blessing for the kingdom of God is when we get together and share blessings. Just a bunch of individual churches by themselves is not helpful. We actually need to periodically get together. We don't all need to be the same church where we're all trying to focus on one thing. That would make no sense. We need everybody focused on where they're at. Some churches are pursuing the supernatural more than others so they can grow up there and bring the blessing to us. Other churches are pursuing the word more so they can grow in theology and bring that to the table. Other churches are focused on outreach and social platforms and civil rights so that can raise up and they can bring that blessing to the table. In other words, if we all spend time looking at different aspects of God that are beautiful and then we get together and go, I saw Jesus like this. And you said, I saw Jesus like this. I saw Jesus like this. Collectively, we say, I saw more of Jesus. You understand the power of that? In the same way, all stations, phases, seasons, and socioeconomic strata of life are equal and they all see God. What do I mean? The poor are no less engaged with God than the rich. The more educated don't have more of the Holy Spirit. The academics don't own the Bible. The holy rollers don't own the power. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Every station in life shows you something unique about God and how he operates with his people. When you're poor, you can see a part of God the rich can't see. When you're rich, you can see a part of God the poor can't see. The poor may see the provider God, but the rich may see the movement of the power of God. The smart may see the glory and the details, whereas the uneducated may be given the gift of simple faith. What's the point? 
It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how educated you are. It doesn't matter any of that. It matters, is Jesus in you? And if he's in you, then you're my brother and sister because he's in me too. And I'm supposed to bring me and Jesus to the table. And you're supposed to bring you and Jesus to the table. And in that beautiful diversity, we'll see more of Jesus. Let me share it this way. Men and women are equal, but they are unique from one another. Men and women are not the same. And you're like, duh, no. In today's world, that is not true. That is not being promoted anymore. I'm not talking about the transgender. That's a very difficult issue. And it's not something to just sweep under the rug and go, it's no big deal. It's becoming an increasingly a big deal. What I'm trying to talk about is that in our world, our world cannot accept uh, equality not meaning sameness. Our world believes that equality means sameness. So, for example, they're going to say, if women are to be fully empowered, they're supposed to lose all that is feminine and they're supposed to be dudes. That's not true. They're trying to say that if men are going to be equal with women, they have to be able to do everything that women do. And that's simply not true. God made us distinct to represent him well. He poured all that he is into women and shaped it different and poured all he is into men and shaped it different. That was on purpose. Us merely losing our distinctions and becoming the same is not glorifying to God. Why does this, why does this matter? Because there's some things that God only expresses through women and there's some things that he only expresses through men. And if we lose that nuance, we don't bring the blessing to the table. The other thing that I want to clarify is that not all women are wives. You know what I mean? Here's what I mean. The Bible says that wives submit to husbands. It does not say that women submit to men. Are we all clear on this? Because a lot of us have not made that distinction in our minds. And so we think that all women are ruled by men. That is not true. When we get married and in our culture... We get to choose to get married, right? I mean, there's other cultures you don't choose that. It's chosen for you. It's an arranged marriage. In our culture, we choose marriage. When you as a man choose to get married, you choose to take on a role. Women, when you choose to get married, you take on a role. It does not change your equality. Your equality is always the same. But how you function in your role is different depending on what role you're filling. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times people will say, well, wait, wait, wait. Unless I can do all things, I'm not equal. That is not correct. Go back to the Trinity. They did not do all things. They all did individual things, but they were all 100% equal. They just had different roles. It's not inequality. It's organization. When... Without diversity in marriage, key things are neglected. There are some things that only wives will get to experience and some things that only husbands will get to experience. And then you're supposed to bring that to the table so you have something to talk about with your walk with Jesus. What I need us to know is that in this house, there is equality. 
whether or not you have different roles that you take on and whether or not this is an appropriate role for you and this is an appropriate role for you or whether or not certain things work in the church as they work in the home, we can have all that discussion, but I never want to hear a spirit of inequality. Oh, well, the wealthy get to do more. Oh, well, the men just get to do this. Oh, well, that you understand what I mean? That's not the church of God. But it's okay to have the beauty within your own diversity. To be the one that God says, I need you to do this, not you. Think about the idea of me standing up here. How weird is that? Why am I standing up here? Is it because we're not equal? Oh, no, no, no. We are equal 100%. Then why am I here? Because we agreed upon me playing a role. So I put on the clothes of a senior pastor. Therefore, I operate in that environment. When I step out of that environment and I come into your automotive shop, everyone here is greater than me, including eight-year-old young ladies. I barely know how to put gas in my car. I barely know how to check the oil. Okay, never changed my own oil. I don't know anything about cars. To me, it's all still magic. I am not the authority in the automotive garage. I'm just a learner. So when I step into your world, you take on the role of authority over me. Because we're equal. Make sense? If that is true, look at what Paul says. Look at verse 12. He said, if that is true, put on then. Meaning just as you get saved and there's a new man, well, when the church comes alive, there should be a new church and it should be different than the world. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Do you know that you as Christians are God's chosen people? They used to only be a Jewish thing that they knew they were the chosen ones of God, that he had his eyes specially on them, that he answered specially their prayers, that they were his children in a very special way. And they took so much pride in that. Then all of a sudden a bunch of Gentiles roll up and go, we're kids too. They didn't like that. And we said, we've been grafted into your family. They're like, that's a drag. But we are, we are God's chosen people Two, we are, he says, holy. We've been set aside, set apart. We're not like everybody else in the sense that the only division God allows are those that are his children and those that are not. And those that are not, he keeps calling, saying it is God's will that none shall perish, but all have eternal life. And he keeps whispering to them going, will you come and submit to me and be my children? He is ever calling and ever whispering and ever drawing. Therefore... We are holy and we are beloved. Do you see that? Beloved. God likes us. He enjoys us. He wants to do things with us. He watches us when we sleep. He creates adventures for us. God delights in his kids. Therefore, if all this is true, if we're equal, if we're blessed, if we're connected to the Father, therefore we must put on compassionate hearts. You got to really care about the people around you. If they are hurting in a way that you can minister to, even if you can't, your heart should move out to them. You should be moved from the deepest part of you. We should put on kindness because the world is so harsh. The church is not supposed to be a place of harshness. We are to put on humility in a world that 
believes in pride and dominance. And whoever is the strongest, they are the ones that are the fittest to survive. That's not in the church. We should put on meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is extraordinary power under control. We should be the ones that are most mighty, but we can bring it down in self-control and minister to one another. We are the ones that are patient, bearing with one another. Why would he have to write that unless people actually drove each other nuts, right? (laughs) And if one has a complaint against another, and one always does, we should be forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. So you must also forgive. And here's where you might say to me, but pastor, you don't know what they did. And I would respond and say, my friend, you don't know what you've done. You have no idea the depth that Jesus has forgiven you of. So I'm sorry again, what did they do to you? And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ be the umpire. When things get tense, That word there of rule in your hearts is the athletic word in the Greek arena. That whenever they came to an impasse of who's going to make the call, an umpire would make the call. If you ever come to an impasse in church where you're not quite sure, I don't agree with them, they don't agree with me, should we split? He said, no, let the peace of Christ be the dominating influence that you stay together. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called to one body and just be thankful. We're all here by grace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Everybody brings something to the table. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in a way that Jesus would sign off on. Y'all know what I mean? Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? If we can truly understand the power of valuing and respecting and honoring one another as equal diverse, bringing something different to the table, and that is good, our church will become rich in all things. When you look out and you say, man, I wish I knew more people and I wish they were more like me, you might have missed the point. People like you are easier. People unlike you are richer. I think it's worth the effort for us to connect with people that aren't like us. You don't want to just see the same side of Jesus every day. It'd be nice if we could see a little bit more of his glory. Yeah. So here's the thing. Our altar is open for any prayer need, but I would like to specifically request that if God has moved on your heart in the area where anywhere in your life, you are seeing one group more valuable than another. We got to wash that out. That can't be part of our makeup. We can't see the better and the worse, the haves and the have nots, the valuable and the less valuable. If there is anywhere that Satan has lied to you in your spirit and said that you are more than or less than someone else, we need to get some prayer about that. Let's go ahead and 
pray and then the altar is open. Heavenly Father, as you are glorious and marvelous and powerful, Holy Spirit, as you walk among us and see all things, as our lives are laid bare before you, would you do the beautiful surgical work of setting us free from isms, humanism, materialism, sexism, racism? Would you clip those all off of our spirit? Would you anoint this altar to be a place of supernatural healing? That, Lord, if we come to you with our heart in our hands, you would take it here at the altar and you would give it back to us cleaner than we gave it to you. Would today be a day where we see you freshly, that we have our eyes opened, our spirits moved, and our lives transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.